0: Welcome to Christian Life, and I'm your host, Dr. William Baker. Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus, some of the controversy around Jesus. Um, I've titled this podcast today, The Love and Submission of Jesus. As a Christian, Jesus is very important to us, our religions, our spirituality, uh, the spiritual being, our spiritual well-being. You know, Jesus is one of the most, if not the most controversial figure in history. The controversy surrounding Jesus started before his birth and continues to this day. Looking at the life of Jesus, we can identify several key points of interest that help compound uh, the controversy. Another aspect that lends to that controversy surrounding Jesus is the contextualization of events in mere human terms. Jesus was much more than a simple temple priest giving words of encouragement or providing instruction on how to live. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. He was, you know, um, part of the Sanhedrin. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And, um, you know, he was a priest. Uh, The ministry of healing was an integral part of the work Christ came into the world to do. Some would call this healing, uh, his healing miracles, while others would call his healing trickery. The first reason for Jesus having a ministry of healing was Christ's compassion for all hurt things. You know, Jesus did not have to have equal love for everything. Uh, It's well documented how Jesus was looked down upon and hated by many. Instead of discriminating against those who would condemn him, Christ extended his love to everyone. Most of us know the story of Jesus and the blind man. One day, Jesus was walking and came across a blind man. Jesus made some mud with spittle and put it on the blind man's eyes. The blind man was told to wash his eyes, and after doing so, he could see. When the Pharisees, the Pharisees are part of the Sanhedrin, uh, one side of it. If you're familiar with the United States, think of Democrats and Republicans. Well, the Pharisees and um, you have the Sadducees. Uh, which are the two parts of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, religious uh, government? When the Pharisees heard of this, they began making an investigation uh, into that miracle. The result of the investigation led to the man being excommunicated, and the Pharisees labeling Jesus a sinner. So, for the for the blind man being able to see, he was excommunicated, and Jesus was a sinner for healing him. And this is supposed to be the religious uh, head of. You know, the community. The manner in which the blind man's healing is conveyed would lead one to believe that Jesus did not know this blind man. Since Jesus is the Son of God, wouldn't Jesus really know who this blind man is and what he suffers from? When Jesus was at the well talking to the Samaritan woman, he knew how many times she had been married and that she was not currently married to the man she was living with. It makes sense that Jesus knew who this blind man was as well. The way the story was written brings the question into question whether or not Jesus knew uh, about this blind man. When Jesus healed the blind man, he used earth and spit to make mud and applied it directly into the man's eyes. That's what they call a spittle. Jesus actually rubbed the spittle onto the man's eyes and then he had him wash it off. Is there a significance in using the earth and spit along with water to wash it off? The earth was created by God. By default, God is in everything. Even if something turns away from God, God is still present in that which is turned away. The spit was actually part of Jesus, who is the Son of God. Jesus is taking from himself and giving part of himself you know, to this blind man. When we think of water, we think of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the blind man wash his eyes off with the water. The three items used to heal the blind man was the earth, spit, and water. The items used to heal the blind man represent God, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. Not mere coincidence, but in one act of love, we can witness God, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. The act of healing would not go unnoticed. The Pharisees became aware of what transpired and grew concerned. Of course, they don't want to be knocked out of power. They, they feel threatened by anything that's not um, approved and come from the Pharisees, that section of government. The Pharisees were but one part of the Sanhedrin, while the Sadducees per- compromised the other half. Upon hear- hearing of the miracle, the Pharisees conducted an investigation into the blind man's healing. The Pharisees did not believe direct evidence, even after obtaining testimony from witnesses and the actual healed man. The outcome of the Pharisees' investigations was a statement that Jesus was a sinner, and the blind man was excommunicated from the temple for believing in Jesus. Now, The Pharisees interviewed individuals who knew the blind man and testified to his disease. Even upon hearing this, the Pharisees did not acknowledge the information presented as factual. The actual blind man was direct evidence of the healing. Yet to the Pharisees, this was not enough to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. In the face of all this evidence, the Pharisees still refuse to believe, even given the possibility that Jesus might be the Son of God. There's irony in the fact that the Pharisees, as part of the Sanhedrin, who were supposed to provide spiritual leadership and teaching, don't recognize God, Jesus. You know, separate God and Jesus, but, you know, same. Jesus was in flesh, just as a normal human, that the Pharisees could not accept him as the son of God. Did they not believe in Jesus because he was performing supernatural healings that no human should be able to perform? The Pharisees' minds were so limited in understanding that they could not accept the fact that God could also make himself flesh. As humans, we ingest our experiences and contextualize them based on society and our learned knowledge. Even when our knowledge is contrary to what we directly experience, we refuse to accept the experience for what it is. We place a arbitrary boundaries and limitations on the experience, and we try to understand the experience in terms of what we know. This was the case of the Pharisees' reaction to Jesus and the miracles performed. Miracles aren't impossible, even though they may highly Be highly improbable based on scientific understanding the improbability of a miracle occurring is not the same as impossibility Jesus performed these miracles of healing because in God's world Jesus always regarded disease as an intruder some would argue that if Jesus was the son of God then why would he allow the sickness and disease in the first place We need to remember that God is always there and will never leave us. Some of the infliction we suffer is due to our turning away from God and his teaching. We sometimes forget that Satan exists and causes a malady. Another potential reason for sickness and disease is by design is a test for us or potentially for those who interact with us. When Jesus performs his healing, all disease vanishes in the presence of heaven's own life incarnate. While Jesus did not, excuse me, while Jesus did perform healing miracles, Jesus' miracles were not limited to healing. And he performed a lot of healing miracles if you look in the Bible. And there's other texts outside of the Bible Another well-known miracle that Jesus performed was the feeding of the 5,000 and how he multiplied the five loaves of bread and two fish to feed all who came to him. People came to Jesus because they heard of the miracles he was performing and the teaching he was giving. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus was not forcing people to come to him. Jesus was demonstrating in his miracles that God provides. Instead of recognizing the miracle for the miracle it was, the crowd wanted to make Jesus into a king. Jesus was not performing miracles to make himself a king of this world, but the crowd thought Jesus had come to fulfill a prophecy in terms of leading them in in this world as king. Some of his teaching were about the future kingship, which most interpreted as a kingdom on this earth. Regardless of the person, Jesus taught all who come to him and are willing to listen and follow doesn't matter who you are if you come to Jesus he's willing to teach you if you change your stripes in your heart and change your heart Jesus's disciples received his teaching and much more in the time they shared Jesus knew of his future purpose and wanted to ensure his message and teachings would continue specifically the Word of God he selected his disciples for this purpose He paid rather insignificant man to take an almost cosmic view of their mission. For on them, he would build his kingdom. Jesus started teaching his disciples by using a plain manner of speech and miracles to convey his message. But changed this as a manner of teaching made apparent an issue Jesus wanted to address. The teaching used by Jesus highlighted a divine that clearly demonstrated people were in two one of two groups, those who believed in Jesus and God, and others who thought he was working for Satan. Isn't that something? Jesus is healing people and you know, there's those that think he's working for Satan. And it's important. This this is important because you know, Satan does trick people. They don't want people to follow God, but they don't want you to believe that there's a devil and stuff either. So, yeah, the devil, you know, while you think it's all evil, the devil could heal just to get you to follow. And then what follows that exactly? The importance of this is significant in how we understand one aspect of Jesus today. Jesus changed his teaching style from plain word to parabolic teaching. The parable, while still incorporating miracles, using parables allowed Jesus to teach average people and his disciples using a well the well-known circumstances or daily events the entire parable was used to convey the message being taught Jesus taught his disciples the need for conversion the importance of faith and obedience the brotherhood of all believers the requirements of abandoning the gods of other systems of belief and the worship of himself Jesus also taught his disciples that love knows God. Jesus was teaching everyone how they needed to live and what was required for salvation. The teaching that was and is being conveyed has an internal impact. And an eternal impact. Internally, what he's teaching you is going to change you as a person. Eternally. It's not your flesh, but it's your spirit and soul. Jesus was and is the most authoritative teacher who must himself be obeyed, but only to those who believe in him. An aspect of irony that surrounds Jesus' teachings are the disciples. The disciples spent quite a bit of time with Jesus learning and watching in the learning process when you're watching and listening to a master you learn subtleties and develop a deeper knowledge of the individual which gives you a different insight to the teaching leading up to and during jesus's trials jesus was preparing his disciples for when he was no longer here as much as jesus tried the disciples did not seem to understand exactly what jesus was trying to teach them they taught they thought jesus was going to die and then that would be the end of him that death was permanent. They didn't really get why he was here. The trial of Jesus is divine and human nature, but were one of many trials in his humanly life. Jesus faced numerous trials throughout his life, including such incidents as Satan's temptation in the desert and the actual trials toward the end of his humanly existence our blessed lord had two natures divine and human both were on trial and on totally different charges the sanhedrin would take on the divine aspect of jesus while the romans would focus on the human the sanhedrin being the leaders of the jewish people at the time wanted to publicly convict jesus and put him on trial the jewish jewish leaders judge that Jesus was guilty of teaching spiritual apostasy, thereby leading Israel astray, before a trial was even held. The Sanhedrin, being compromised of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were already familiar with the miracles and teachings of Jesus. Based on this information, the Sanhedrin thought the best course of action was to have Jesus executed. While the Sanhedrin did have power and could administer punishment, They did not have the authority to execute someone. The judgment of death was reserved solely for Rome to administer. So, these religious people that were the leaders of the Jews at the time wanted to kill him. They wanted him dead. He was a threat, he was evil to them. But they couldn't do it, so they had to go to the Romans. Interestingly enough, one of Jesus' own disciples held the Sanhedrin in Jesus' arrest. As he told them the location of Jesus. So, one of his own people, one of his own disciples, helped the Sanhedrin in his arrest. We all know that. The disciple in question was Judas. During this time, when the Sanhedrin was planning the arrest and trial of Jesus, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus never stopped loving or teaching Judas. This was a trial for Jesus within the trial. Jesus knew the outcome. And that he would be condemned but still taught with love and awaited judgment. Christ had the power to change all of this in an instant and still chose the role of the Paschal Lamb. This alludes to another trial. Within this trial, from Satan, similar to when Jesus was in the desert and tempted by Satan. Jesus didn't take the bait. And did what must be done using the power of God to influence the outcome you know using the power of God to influence the outcome would not allow for God's purpose in this God as well as Jesus knew this yeah the temple police were sent out to arrest Jesus and bring him before Caiaphas Caiaphas hoped to draw Jesus you know, a statement from him about his teachings, which could be twisted around to mean that he had anti-Roman sympathies. The Romans didn't want to kill him, but they wanted him to admit that he was trying to overthrow Rome or, you know, the emperor, the, you know, Roman government. Caiaphas carefully questioned Jesus, hoping to elicit a response that fit the predetermined punishment. They knew they were going to kill him. The Jewish authority was trying to shift the responsibility for the execution of the predetermined judgment to the Romans. Of course, they didn't want to be guilty the Sanhedrin. The Jewish government and religious head didn't want to be guilty of crucifying the Christ. They wanted to blame it on the Romans, of course. Caiaphas found him guilty of blasphemy, which carried the most severe sentence, death. At the time, Caiaphas was the high priest. In his role of high priest, he could not would not recognize the divinity in front of him. Jesus affirmed his divinity, then his humanity, but both under the personal pronoun, I. Christ had acknowledged that he was the Son of God. It was precisely because Jesus had claimed to be Son of God that the Jews seek to have Jesus condemned to death by Pilate, Pontius Pilate. The Sanhedrin brought Jesus before Pilate and implied that Jesus perverted the nation and forbade to give tribute to Caesar. This was unfounded in Pilate's questioning, but it was set to set the stage for Jesus' condemnation. Pilate sent Jesus to Herod for trial, and just as quick as Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, Herod sent Jesus back. Pilate was the Roman Herod, if you think about it, uh, you know Pilate was in charge of a town or city. Herod was is more like a county. It was just a bigger area. That's a simplified way to think of it. You know, he sent him back. Herod sent him back to Pilate, bearing the message to effect that Herod thanked the Roman governor for his courtesy, but would not dream of robbing him of his privilege, uh, and begged him to finish the case himself. He didn't want to. Take that privilege from Pilate, you know, he didn't want to kill him is what he didn't want to do. Pilate did not want to condemn Jesus as he knew Jesus had done nothing wrong. As governor, Pilate had a duty to maintain order and needed a way out of the decision he did not want to make. He continued to question Jesus and asked him if he was king of the Jews. Jesus acknowledged that he was a king. It put him in direct opposition to Caesar and set Pilate's direction. Pilate devised a sneaky plan to punish Jesus while satiating the Jewish mob. Jesus was scourged and set to be freed until the Jewish authorities stirred in the crowds of the onlookers. Pilate gave the Jews a choice of setting Jesus or a criminal free. Given the choice between a criminal and Jesus, the Jews chose to set a criminal free and condemn Jesus. We could see the two trials, the dual divinity of, of Jesus' nature. Christ's human nature is shown in the Roman trial, where he's acknowledged as a king and sentenced to death. Pilate doesn't understand that the kingship Jesus is talking about is not of this earth. But being a good Roman, Pilate follows the laws of Rome and the request of the Jewish people and has Jesus crucified. This allowed him to maintain control of his territory. Jesus' divine nature was acknowledged when he answered that he was Messiah and the Son of the living God. Jesus was performing miracles and teaching others to love. Jesus wanted everyone to follow God's law and spread the word of God. But for some reason, the Sanhedrin and Jewish people condemned him. I mean, There wasn't anything bad he was saying. There was a dislike for Jesus, even though he had done nothing wrong. At any moment, Jesus could have used his power and changed everything the way he wanted, but the change would not have happened the way he needed it to happen. So he had to suffer. And he did. He suffered. The Jewish people followed their spiritual leaders in the Sanhedrin and shouted for Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' life was one of love and submission his love allowed for healing miracles he did not discriminate when it came to miracles illegitimate what a thoughts the miracles Jesus performed was another manner in which Jesus taught Jesus is the great teacher all who are open to his teachings are welcome to come and learn using parables Jesus was able to convey his teaching to those who place faith in him and God the power of the parable allowed him to move away from ordinary words that were divisive. His love for all was shown in his teachings as he taught his disciples just as he would teach others who came to him the exact same way. The miracles and teaching led to the trials that led to Jesus, Excuse me, Christ's humanly death. We could call him Jesus. We know Jesus experienced many trials throughout his life and he addressed them in the same manner with love and submission. Jesus did have the power to change the outcome of what happened and what had happened, but he refused. He knew what he had to do and why. The larger plan required Jesus to submit as the greatest miracle and teaching moment he would have and learning experience for us. The end result for us from his miracles and teaching and trials is making salvation possible without all of this there would be no salvation for mankind and that's why he did it why did the sanhedrin offer him up to the romans so he would die they felt threatened they didn't like his teachings they believed in the law you had the pharisees and and jesus was a pharisee And then you had the Sadducees, the other side of the Sanhedrin. Yes, he was part of that. He used to teach in the temples. The Romans, as we talked about, Pontius Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back. You know, they don't want to execute him. But the whole town, a majority of the town, were Jewish. They followed the Sanhedrin. It would have been impossible for Rome to maintain power of their territory if they did not do what the Sanhedrin was asking. There would have been an uprising, and a lot of Romans would have died. And then we know how Rome is. They would have sent soldiers in. The town would have been dying. But it's not it's not about that. That's part of the history. But Jesus still stayed the course. It says he didn't matter, Gentile, Jew. But we knew he got away from the Jewish aspect. It was for anybody that came to him. You were Christian. It didn't matter who you were. If you believed him, you followed his teaching, you changed your heart. So that's our message today. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I want to say I hope you have a good week. And again, this is Christian Life with Dr. William Baker. Oh, my goodness. I can't even say my name this week. I bit my tongue very hard. Sorry about that. But it's Christian Life with Dr. William Baker. And everyone, go with God. Thank you and have a blessed week.